Welcome to Bee Therapy. It's Patrice Newell here, and it's a different type of Bee Therapy episode because usually my bee buddy, Danny Lloyd Pritchard, and I are together when we record these, but we're not together this time. Danny is, in fact, at home in Newcastle. But it's important, isn't it, Danny, to have this conversation, even though we're not together, because there's been so much going on, in particular, where you live. That's so true, Patrice. It's finally arrived. Our worst nightmare in beekeeping in Australia. We now have Varroa Destructor on our shores. And sadly, the incursion point has been Newcastle Port, um, less than 10 kilometres from where I live right now. So very sad days indeed. So I we've spoken briefly, um, so I'm glad we've pressed the record button here because I thought if we go back to that first little text message when it was notified, all the beekeepers were notified that Varroa mite had been um, found in a particular hive in Newcastle. Let's just go back to that moment because you had some conversations with the Department of um, Primary Industries at that time when that happened. That's correct. So the day we were notified was the 22nd of June 2022, so 22622. It was that Wednesday afternoon and they were actually detected in a centineal hive and these are, are hives located around Australia specifically for that reason to intercept incursions of pests and diseases that may come into our honeybees and they were detected in two of the six hives in Newcastle Port and from there it just triggered a national response plan to be implemented and from there it has been non-stop orders. Police are now the main controllers. We've got multiple agencies involved. We have hundreds and hundreds of beekeepers on the ground all around Newcastle and the Hunter Valley just racing against time to try and track the spread of the mites to try and work out what the containment area is because under the orders that have been released, um, the plan is to eradicate, to go in and attempt an eradication of these mites. So it's huge. It is huge. Now we'll get to where the mite has now been recorded in a, in a few minutes. But the, the next thing I remember you talking about was you went down and did a sugar shake test on your particular bees in Newcastle. Now, let's go explain too, for those that don't know, that this is a particular test that beekeepers do hopefully every April. We don't normally do it in the middle of winter. That's correct, isn't it? Didn't you go and check your hives straight away? I did. So the department were busily notifying all registered beekeepers within the biosecurity emergency zone. And that was a 50 kilometre radius from the point of incursion where they were detected. And so within those 50 kilometres, they identified three zones, a red zone, a purple zone and a yellow zone. The red zone is the immediate 10 kilometre radius, which they're now calling the eradication zone. The 25 kilometres out, so from the 10 to 25 kilometres is considered a surveillance zone. And then you've got the biosecurity zone, the 25 to 50 kilometres out of that. And the rest of New South Wales is in a blue zone and that comes under the order as well. But um, the people in the red zone and the purple zones in particular, we were notified by the department 
And I was selected initially as part of a team of 43 beekeepers to go into our hives within a few days of them detecting the mites. And we had to report back that night. And they asked us to do two tests. One of them was called a sugar shake test. And the other one was called, they called it a drone spiking test or what we also know as brood uncapping to have a look for mites on brood developing in the hive. But the sugar shake kit, what it involves is a container that you put in about a cup of bees that you shake off a brood frame out of your hive. You shake the bees onto a piece of paper, quickly tip them into this container and you put a lid on top, you screw it on top and it's got just vents in the top. It's it's like a mesh lid and you add a couple of tablespoons of icing sugar or icing mixture on top of the bees and you shake them around, you coat them in the sugar and then you leave them for a few minutes to kind of roll around in it and they are, automatically they start to groom themselves and the action of that grooming, it can dislodge mites that they may have on their body. And then what you do is you turn that container upside down over a white bucket filled with some water and you shake the sugar out. And so if there's any mites that have been dislodged, they should fall out with the sugar. The sugar will dissolve when it hits the water and the mites will float on top. So they were the two tests I had to do on every one of my hives in an apiary that, like I said, it was just on the edge. It was outside of the red zone and in the purple zone at that stage. Um, just Half an hour ago, Patrice, I've actually received an email from the department to tell me that those hives are now in the eradication zone. So that red zone that we're talking about is extending as they detect more mites in hives a bit further out from that initial point. Um, that eradication zone is expanding as well. So it means sadly, my bees will be eradicated. They're going to come in probably in the next few nights. There'll be a team of DPI beekeepers. They'll come in and they will euthanize my bees, um, usually using petrol. They'll, they'll do it at nighttime when the bees are in the hive. They'll close up the hive. They're going to wrap it up in plastic. And the following day, they remove the entire hive. So all the equipment in that apiary is going to be taken away to a huge burn pit, which is controlled by our rural fire service and the Environment Protection Authority. And they will be turned to ash. And that's it for my beekeeping days in that area, sadly. It's horrific. But when you did that test, when DPI first asked you to do that test, did you find varroa mite there? No, nothing. No, the hives were clean. They still are clean. Okay, so you're expecting to lose your hive and you said it's everything. When you say everything, what does that mean? If you've got any extra spare boxes there, um, any extra frames, all the all your beekeeping equipment there is going to be burnt. In that apiary, that's my understanding. So if you do have a little bit of junk lying around, like some apiaries will, you may have a spare lid or a spare baseboard or a, or a spare box, um, they're likely to take it all at this stage. If you fall within that red eradication zone, they're trying to do a thorough clean-up. Oh, Danny, isn't it so awful? It is so <laughs> awful. Okay, well, now you've just heard that you've entered into this extended eradication zone. But then I know this last week you've actually been with a bigger team of volunteer beekeepers as you've gone out into more and more areas to look at hives. Explain to me this process because it sounds like almost a military-style event that's been organised to check as many hives as possible. 
It is like a military-style event. We have an incident control centre set up in the Hunter Valley. And like I said, because this is a national response plan that's been initiated, um, it's actually controlled by the police. And beneath that are multiple agencies involved in this biosecurity emergency response. And the main one in New South Wales is the Department of Primary Industries. Now, I used to work with them. So I was one of their employees. I was their honeybee education officer for five years. So I have been called in to be part of their initial response teams to go out and survey apiary sites within the first eradication zone that we've detected because they're running against time. What they really want to do in the next few weeks is try and identify the edge of the spread. And to do that, you need teams. They've got a, an entire control center there with logistics support. You've got planning. You've got operations. We're talking hundreds of people on the ground. And within that are a lot of volunteers, so rural fire service volunteers, also beekeepers, um, mainly commercial beekeepers at this stage and ones that have been invited in to be part of the initial teams. Uh, they're looking for experienced beekeepers that have been trained in biosecurity. So we, we sort of form the field team, so to speak, but we also need authorised officers. And these are officers that under the law have the authority to enter people's property in a biosecurity emergency response. And they can come from different agencies, not, not just Department of Primary Industries. They're coming from Department of Fisheries, from local land services. And it's really nice. So the teams that you go out with will be three to five people in a team. And within that, there'll be two beekeepers. And then you may have two support people that can be there to help with the decontamination when you come off site. You may need extra muscles if it's a large apiary. You may have two, three, four, five hundred hives that you need to go through. So as beekeepers, you may decide to split up into two teams to get through that in the day. And you may have an offsider that you can use to do a bit of the lifting for you and help you out when needed. But your authorised officer always stays on the clean side of the site of the operation and they're the ones that will talk to the landowners, they will talk to the beekeepers or any public that may come along and ask questions. When you're part of this response team, you're tasked with a job, you don't know the names, you don't get any details, all you get is a number. You arrive on site at the control centre to be issued the task numbers to be put into your team and you could be driving for two hours before you get to the site that you need to spend the next few hours going through hives. And when I say going through hives, it doesn't matter what the weather is. At this stage, we've had torrential rain. We've had flooding all through the valley and we've still been out in the field in the rain opening beehives and doing these tests. Now, the tests that we're doing are not the two that I described before. We're not going in and doing drone uncapping. We're not going in and doing sugar shakes. They take a lot more time. We're going in. We're pulling a frame out of the brood box and we're shaking it like we do with a sugar shake onto a piece of paper. But instead of tipping it into a container with icing sugar, we tip it into a container that contains alcohol or methylated spirits. That kills the bees. So anywhere between three and 500 bees. But the minute they die, if they contain any mites on their bodies, the alcohol kills the mites and the mites let go straight away from the bees and they will sink to the bottom of that alcohol. So you, you do the same thing where you've got the mesh lid and you, you invert it. So you're shaking the bees around in this alcohol and you invert that container and you tip the alcohol out and any mites that are on the bees go with the liquid and you can see it, you can see the mites quite clearly in containers. Wow. So here we are, wet conditions, 
You're going to beekeepers' properties. You don't know who they are, so there's a privacy factor for the beekeeper. But but the, obviously the register they're all registered beekeepers, and the reason why the DPI can will know that they're there with bees is because they're registered beekeepers. Are they also going to beekeepers that perhaps are not registered? Are there yes, they are. Yeah, they are. They've they've put a call out to the public to help with this initial response. You know, we're in we're in that acute phase of the incursion, and they're talking about a three week window of opportunity to get on top of this. And we need help from the public. We're getting them to call in if they can see or if they know of hives that may have been abandoned, neglected, unmanaged hives. Maybe they're not registered. You know, people might know of sites when they go bushwalking or bike riding, and they think, oh, that's that's a beehive. But if there's no number on the box, it can indicate that it's an unregistered hive. So the department's saying, please report any beehives that you know of. Even if they are registered and you're just unsure, doesn't matter. Report them. They're collating it all in a database. They're even asking people to report feral colonies. So that's that's interesting as well. Feral colonies. You mean, when you say colony, you mean um, be, a, be an apiary that perhaps is has been deserted. Oh, sorry. When I, when I meant feral colonies, I meant wild hives in trees. Wild hives in trees. Okay. Because the idea is with this eradication process, they're going to go in initially and eradicate or euthanize, let's say kill, kill the beehives of all the registered beekeepers, take them away. And then the next response in that, the next level in that response is going to be the eradication of the wild hives because the mites rely entirely on the life cycle of the honeybee to survive. If you can remove the host, which is the honeybee, you remove the mites. Mm. And this is what they're going to attempt to do in the red zones. All right. Well, you're going out to hives in the eradication zone. Whether there's mites there or not, they're all going to be eradicated. Would you say what percentage of hives are you finding actually have mites? I can only talk on my experience and very, very, very low numbers, um, you know, one or two hives in a load of 200 bees, 200 beehives, you know, so very low. But you are hearing of other sites that were quite quite heavily infested. But the good, the good news in all of this is that every time they've detected mites, they've been able to trace it back to a source. So far, it's all traceable. And that means that the hives that we're detecting mites in are linked somehow back to initial infestation, not necessarily the surveillance hives that they were detected in, but possibly a large load of commercial beekeeping hives that were based close to the port of Newcastle where they did find a large number of, ni- a large number of mites. Now, that beekeeper's been doing their business and they haven't done anything wrong. You know, their business has been breeding up queens, splitting hives, selling nukes to people. They move their beehives around as beekeepers are allowed to. They have multiple apiary sites and they may be moving them around to chase a particular flow of honey. So in doing that, they've also transferred the mites. So that's why we're seeing this expansion of the red zone as they go in and check the loads of bees from known beekeepers that have got mites. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. But this is the tracing. This is the critical tracing that they're doing now, which will then determine the edge of the spread, which determines the edge of the red zone. And then they're going to go in hard and, and attempt an eradication, which has never been done as far yeah, as I'm aware anywhere I, in the world. 
I used to think we'd go to all these bee conferences and there's always this stuff on Varroa and I used to think, stop talking about it, we don't have it yet. And it used to, I used to think sometimes it dominated these conferences uh, and yet here we are. Uh, and, of course, most of us had never seen a Varroa. You're one of the few people now who have actually physically seen one in Australia, you see. I'm only still relying on um, videos and photographs. So mm. when, when you actually saw one, were you surprised? They're meant to be the size of a sesame seed. They're varying sizes depending on how mature they are and even the colour varies. So we're not when we're in the field... Even you, even if you suspect you've found mites, it's not confirmed until that sample has been taken back to a government entomologist back at the control centre for positive identification. And we don't always hear back to know whether what we found was positive or not. It's only if it triggers an expansion of a red zone or another red zone that you can go, oh, that must have been what I found. Sometimes it's really, really obvious and you're sent to a site that they suspect there'll be a high chance of finding mites. And when you find the high numbers, you're fairly confident what you're looking at is definitely the mites. But again, as a field team member, you can't make that call. And none of that information goes back to the beekeeper at that site at that time. It comes through the department later on, whether it's that night or the next day. Um, but we do interact with beekeepers. You can't help it. You know, they're, they're bee lovers and you do see them when you're out in the field. Um, so it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to see what's going on. Absolutely. We should um, perhaps say here why every why beekeepers are so terrified of varroa mite when the entire world has it except Australia. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? We've always felt like somehow we were special and it, we'd kept it at bay. But let's just um, explain a little bit here on what actually the varroa mite does because it is pretty horrific and certainly for beekeepers like us who do things naturally and don't use chemical in their management, it's a pretty terrifying thing. Mm. Well, as we know, the mites, they, they are a mite. They're, they're similar to like a tick, you can imagine. They attach themselves to the bees, to the adult bodies of the bees. They, they live off the blood, the fatty tissue within the bee. They have the ability to transfer viruses that we don't currently have in Australia. So that's another thing we're waiting to hear. Do, do they know where the mites came from? Are they allowed to, are they able to identify which country was the source of these mites? And from the mites we've collected, are we able to identify any new bee viruses that we may now have in these honeybee colonies? So we're waiting. The story is yet to be told, but the science is happening. So watch this space. But for us in Australia, our bees have never been exposed to these mites. So it's like us never being exposed to the COVID virus. You know, our bodies have no defense against it. Our bees may, you know, are unlikely to have any natural ability to control the mites. And eventually other countries around the world have been able to reach almost like a balance point where the mites are there but their bees have got some type of hygienic behaviour or some way of, you know, naturally controlling the mites. But it's taken years to get to that point. And so in the initial infestation of the mites coming into the countries, you see a massive decline. They, they wipe out colonies. They weaken the bees. They weaken the colonies. And um, 
you know, Australia's looking at losing. In, in some instances, they're saying you can lose 30, 50, 60, 70% of your beehives. Mm. And we just don't know. It's untested. Mm. So, and that's the fear in the beekeeping community around the rest of New South Wales and Australia that currently don't have the mites. It's worth us trying to contain it. You know, it's really worth us giving it a, a hit because they're talking the loss every year is in the billions of dollars to the agricultural industry. So that's in the commercial space of beekeeping. Um, we're coming into almond pollination season. You know, in the next two weeks, there was going to be up to 300,000 beehives moving into the almond fields around the, the Victorian New South Wales border. Now, at the moment, the order that's in place for New South Wales beekeepers is do not touch your hives, do not move your hives, do not do anything unless you're directed to or you're checking for mites. That's it. That's all you're allowed to do. Or in the case in the hunter, you're moving your hives to higher ground because you're flooding, which is happening. There's also been um, a little bit of concern as well in the native bee uh, space. Varroa mite only uh, affects the honeybee, Apis mellifera. It does not affect um, any of the Australian native bees. But there has been concern from the native bee fraternity that uh, if we start using these chemical traps and things, that that may have an effect on our native bees. Have you had much conversation about this? There's not a lot of talk going on. There was a community briefing me meeting that happened in Newcastle a week after the initial um, detection of the mites and the incident controllers in charge of this biosecurity response stood up and were able to explain to us how the national response plan was going to roll out. And we're in that first phase of the plan. So we have to be trusting here. We have to believe in a process. They have been planning for this for a long time in Australia. They've been preparing for an in incursion of mites and how we were going to respond. And within that plan, it clearly states the eradication, the containment and the removal of the feral beehives, the feral colonies after you've destroyed the registered hives. And the way that they'll do that, they're talking about an open baiting station. But again, we're going to benefit from the research and science from all the other countries in the world that have been handling Varroa mite for a long time. And so currently there are scientists testing the design of these bait stations. They're talking about using a bait called fipronol, which is a, a, a widely used insecticide. And they're hoping to attract honeybees the bait station by basically burling up the air. They're going to be melting down some wax and honey to create this beautiful scent in the air, which will attract the honeybees. And then they'll have a mixture of sugar syrup that's been, you know, spiked with this fipronol poison. And these feral bees will come in, take some of that sugar syrup back to the colony and effectively poison the feral colonies. Um, the native bees, obviously, they will be attracted to that smell of honey and wax. But again, the timing of all this is so fortunate in that we're in winter. Yes. Our native bees are hardly flying. You know, they rarely come out if the temperature isn't, is below 18 degrees. So again, we could be extremely lucky when we start to roll out this bait program that our native bees are going to be minimally impacted. 
there are a lot of stingless beekeepers in Newcastle as well as honey beekeepers. Quite often a beekeeper will have both types of bees and they're contained in these smaller hives. They're about a quarter of the size of a honey bee hive and they're able to be moved. And so under the order in the Biosecurity Act, you are allowed to remove your stingless beehives from the red zones, from the eradication zones, and put them into other areas while these baiting programs are going on. But again, we've been talking about this. I, I'm i not aware of stingless bees in particular being that attracted to sugar syrup. So I think the risk is low. As we move into spring and into summer, if we're going to have those bait stations out there, there may be a higher risk of other pollinators becoming more active in the warmer months, more native bees emerging from their diapause phase that they're in now. But these stations aren't going to be just dumped everywhere and left. They will be supervised. They're going to look for any other bycatch, so to speak, that may be coming into those. They'll be, they'll, they will be monitored so closely. Um, yeah, I think you know, we, going to again, be a lot to talk to about. There's going to be so much to talk about, isn't there? When there uh, is, we... there's so much coming out in this space, and incredible people working on it. And like I said, the teams that are going out are extremely experienced beekeepers, and they really, really care. The most of them, you know, we've got the recreational beekeepers here working side by side, commercial beekeepers. They've come in from all over Australia. They're not just New South Wales beekeepers. They're not just Hunter Valley beekeepers. They've flown up from Victoria. They've they've come in from Queensland. They've come from the South Coast. They've you know, in New South Wales, yes, beekeepers are effectively locked down and our hives are locked down and we're really good at lockdowns in Australia. So, you know, people are comfortable with that idea. But for how long? That's the critical question because at the moment the industry is in standstill. Our bees have not been touched. We're not even able to manage them. We're not allowed to feed them. And commercial beekeepers with thousands of hives, normally this time of year they're moving their hives to almonds or some other pollination you know, it, it's um, it's like the the volunteer firefighter sort of care notion of just rising to the occasion. We are good at that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and we need to, you know, as the network of beekeepers, we are supporting each other. The groups on Facebook, people are really, really hurting. Mm. And in Newcastle, we're talking hundreds. The club itself has over 400 members, but there's a lot of other registered beekeepers that aren't a member of the local amateur beekeeping club that are losing their hives as well. So having community briefing sessions are important, but finding another beekeeper that you can talk to, like you, Patrice, you're my bee buddy. This is bee therapy for me. As I start to lose my hives and look at the future and imagine possibly years without us being allowed to have bees back into these eradication zones, what's that going to mean for us as beekeepers? Do we give up? I mean, personally, me, I'm going to be focusing on the natives and I'm going to be focusing on other pollinators and I'm going to make sure I, you know, I am preparing my ground, I'm preparing my sites to provide beautiful resources for all pollinators, not just the bees. And hopefully we can beat this little mite. Yeah, you're <laughs> no time already, will tell. You are being seriously positive there. Look, this has been a fabulous conversation. So, Danny, we'll, we'll pick it up again. It's only really just started. There's a long way to go, and that eradication zone um, has spread and spread since the very first incursion. So let's just see um, how it goes, and we'll talk again. Huh? If I don't see you, we'll still talk again. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Danny. That was great hearing all that news. All the best. Okay, bye. Oh, 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 oh,